This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, a special announcement about a special airplane. And an American score on the Red Bull Air Race front. A new airplane from down under. And teachers learn new school curriculum. All right, David, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulis. And David, uh, this week, we didn't tease this, but our, our last story is going to be, our number one story is going to be about privatization. Everybody's talking about it. They are, yeah. And of course, our guest is going to have to deal with that this week because it's timely. That's right. Um, Jim Kuhn, our senior VP down on Capitol Hill. All right. And in fact, we talked to him on Skype, even though he's just down the road. Uh, he's a busy guy. And so we caught him on the phone. We were glad to get him, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, man, he is, a, uh, he is a busy, busy guy these he days. He is, and there's a lot going on, and I know our members are very interested in that, and I am too. Yeah, but um, let's start. I, I tease this just a little bit, a special announcement. As this podcast goes up, we're announcing AOPA, the next sweepstakes airplane. And I am excited to figure out what it is. Tell us a little bit about it, Ian. Yeah, so this is a this is just super cool. Um, we've talked for many years about doing a Cub. You oh, know, man. There's lots of, uh, every year, you know, we get lots of suggestions from members and everything else, and, and, and we argue internally about what's the best airplane to do, and a Cub always comes up, but this year, I think we've got it. This is the Super Cub Sweepstakes. Very, very cool. I love it, man. You know, yeah. I did my seaplane rating in a Super Cub last year. Oh, did year. you? That's yeah. awesome. I didn't know it was a Super Cub. Well, now this Super Cub. Is oh, yeah. This one's going to be special. Floats and. And skis and, and Tundra we- tires. Oh, man. So you, it's like the ultimate all terrain vehicle. Yeah. So this is going to be all about fun. It's going to run two years. Uh-huh. And uh, that's because the first year is all about the restoration. Oh, I see. This is an airframe that uh, was involved in an accident. And the Megas out in uh, Montana are rebuilding their Super Cub specialists into a heavy hauling high performance modern super cub yeah so we uh we are we're very in tune with i i would say the the historical significance of the super cub right and well, how it, important sort of that that base uh i guess configuration is exactly and you know they're going to honor their own selves at at air venture this year too yep the yep. cubs to Oshkosh. that's true they are yeah um, but uh, we'll we'll have a few modern conveniences in there. Um, but ultimately, that first year is just about 
getting the airplane up to snuff, getting those wheels, floats, and skis, like we said. But then the second year is all about fun. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll show what you can do with an airplane like this, where you can go. Um, we'll we put we some also have through their paces. We yeah. also have like a key person that's uh, riding herd over this. That's a tailwheel yeah. specialist. Yeah, Alyssa now Alyssa Cobb used that's to be right. Alyssa Miller. Yeah, he's the director of our digital world. Yeah, and she owns a 170. It's a sweet airplane. That 170. Yeah, it is cool. And so um, she'll be uh, shepherding the restoration and then uh, kind of around the country to show off the uh, the airplane when it's done. That so. is gonna be neat. So while she's showing the airplane off, like I could I could just play over here back yeah. at home, right? Yeah, right. Okay, right. gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And so like all of our sweepstakes, the rules are going to be online. Go check them out to see if you're eligible. For a large chunk of the membership, uh, you're a member. That means you're eligible. Um, There are some special ways you can get more eligibility and that sort of thing. Well, this is going to be really cool for a lot of people. And if you haven't flown a Piper Cub or a Super Cub, let me tell you, it's an enlightening experience. It was so cool. And I I did my seaplane rating in it, like I said. And I think you have some experience in a Super Cub too, right? Yeah, I've flown uh, just a little bit in a Super Cub, mostly in a J3 actually, Uh in a regular Cub. The Super Cub is a J3, all that and more. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, the J3 is fun, but uh, definitely a... Kind of an early morning, late afternoon, right. bounce around airplane. It's not meant to really do much, but uh, yeah, Super Cub, man. Oh, man. That's awesome. I can't hardly wait. Yeah. It sounds great. It's Members gonna are going to be, be so excited. Yeah, yeah. And so somebody, some lucky member, will win that. All right. Find out who. Yeah. In a couple of years. All right. So the next story, um, I'll let you talk about this one, but... Uh, Back the Americans back at Red Bull. Oh, this is a super deal. The Americans uh, back on the podium, uh, back on number one. Yeah, uh, on the podium with Kirby Chambliss won the Red Bull Air Race July second. So put him back on top of the podium. Put Americans back on top. Awesome. And that was in Budapest, Hungary. There you go. Nice. I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> Amazingly, but uh, the Americans have not done all that well in the Red Bull Air Race circuit yeah, this year. Yeah. And in fact, Michael Gooley and our ambassador was held pointless for the first time this season. And uh, he had some infractions. No kidding. Why? Uh, what happened? Well, it looks like he exceeded the G limit for Ooh. a fraction of a second too long. And, wow. And a couple other things that, uh, you know, it all adds up when you're talking about microseconds. Yeah, that's being, true. Being the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, Shambliss in Budapest, he said he uh, he loves it. Had to thank his team, of course, because it wasn't a one-person effort. Yeah. And uh, we're glad to see an American back on the podium. Two races in a row were won by an Asian pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Japanese. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. pretty cool. Yep. But uh, good news there for Americans. And uh, don't forget, AOPA also is going to have an appearance at the Indianapolis portion of this race. That's uh, in the fall. Yeah, very cool stuff. So um, going along with that. Yeah, some other air show news. Now, this was a surprise to folks. Big time surprise to me. Yeah. I was out of town and I read it online, but air show pilot Sean Tucker, uh, who everyone knows from the Oracle, Red Oracle airplane, mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to retire from solo aerobatic performances. Yeah, at the end of the next season. Yeah. Now this is uh, it's really funny because the I think he was in town. I think he was in Dayton for the Dayton Air Show. Right. When this came out, and he was talking to a Dayton reporter, and uh, and he said, "Oh, he's going to retire, and you know, he's getting older. He's sixty. I think he's sixty, maybe. He's, um, a, he's been performing for forty years. Said that's he, the Dave Hirschman's article says he's sixty-five. Oh, he's sixty. Oh my gosh, he's sixty-five. It, that takes that takes a lot of punishment and a lot of toll on your body. Seriously, doing that kind of snap rolls and everything. Yeah. So it's like so he's going to slow down a little bit and do formation <laughs> yeah, aerobatics. You know, down it's a whole like lot. yeah, no. For Sean, that's slow. I know. So for it's us, funny. It's fast. I know. So it's like the headline says he's retiring, but I think of it more of like. 
like a transition. I yeah, think. I, I like the transition from yeah. solo to team aerobatics. It's yeah. going to be really a cool thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for me, that would be <laughs> the ultimate. Uh, the slowest he ever goes is the fastest I'll ever <laughs> hope to think about going. Yeah, right. But yeah. a great ambassador for the sport and for yeah. aviation and yeah, uh, for young guy. pilots as well. Mm-hmm. And yep. he, he was a good friend with Bob Hoover. Yep. Yeah. He's a super guy. Uh, amazing always to watch him fly. And it's funny, I remember, I, I went to Oshkosh as a kid a couple uh-huh. of times with my dad, and um, I don't remember many of the acts. Uh, yeah. I think I may have seen the French Connection once, but it's like Sean Tucker when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember him flying. And yeah. he had the 1-800-COLLECT uh, airplane, and his son used to do the announcing. How and it cool. just, I don't know, just stuck in my head back from that many years ago. And he's a smart guy and a fun guy and an easygoing guy. Yeah. In fact, when uh, I believe it was last summer uh, when the EAA celebrated their two millionth uh, Young Eagle, he mm-hmm. slapped uh, he slapped Harrison Ford on the shoulder after they uh, gave a ride to <laughs> to this young woman, and uh, yeah. and it just really looked like he was just a good old guy. Yeah. He enjoyed himself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So moving on, uh, the air van. This is uh, the, now many folks. You say like air van. What's the air van? Chances are though, you've seen it, right? Yeah, you've seen it out there on the ramp. Actually, if you're a Civil Air Patrol member, mm-hmm. you might have seen an air van. Yeah, what a Dash Eight. Yeah, Air Van Eight. Now the air van is a. Uh, it, there's a kind of a small category of these just straight up utility. Uh, single engine kind of airplanes. It's like baby caravans almost. It's like a high wing. It's a high wing plane. Yeah, high single wing. Um, and so the air van is one of those. They're made in Australia. Very purpose built. In fact, yeah. it's really interesting if you read into the history of how it was designed. Things like they put the tail high enough so that if you it can turn over a cow fence. Oh, neat stuff like well, that. That makes sense if you're out in the bush. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're out in the back forty. Um, yeah, so the, there's always been, I'll say, you know, rumblings of people. Some see, some people say they're a little underpowered, and uh-huh. so um, Airvan developed the ten, the Dash Ten. Yeah, which is turbine powered. Oh, that'll that'll work. Yeah, yeah, especially for unimproved strips or even missionary work. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, that's right. Right. So that just came out. Um, it's owned by Mahindra. So if you hear it called the Mahindra Airvan, that's 10. an Indian company, right? It is, and actually fascinating. They they make like farm equipment and cars. So and they're, they're big. Yeah, huge, yeah. huge company. Um, but now they're in aviation. Uh, airplanes made in Australia, where it was designed, but uh, Indian owned. So eight seat. Uh, so the eight was an eight seat, uh, three hundred horse IO five forty. Right. Um, there's been 240 of them built, so they're around definitely, and they're easy to work on too. I understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's another another consideration for a plane that's going to get a lot of hard abuse. Yeah, you got it. Uh, the 10, uh, it's a Rolls Royce uh, 250 engine, 450 shaft horsepower. It's a million bucks, uh, which is not too bad when you consider you know that turbine engine and everything the else. The whole that goes plane with is it. a million bucks. Yeah. Uh, so. Cirrus could be a million bucks. Exactly. Uh, wow, I can get a 10 person airplane for. The same price? Yeah. Yeah, mm, that's right. Interesting. Oh, although you're only going to go 145 knots. I see. Um, <laughs> and you're going to fly down low and everything else because that's true. it's meant for work. But um, it's, a, it's a workhorse air, aircraft. Yeah. I think we'll see them out there. I mean, that's, you know, it'll compete with the PAX 750, which is another one of those gotcha. sort of... Um, special built. Yeah, special, special built. missions. Yeah, that's rather. right. Yeah, it, I suppose maybe with used Kodiaks, that sort of range, they're, they're a lot more new. Yeah. Um, but uh, cool little airplane. I'm glad we talked about it because uh, that particular company doesn't get a whole lot of ink. Yeah. They're out there and they're doing the good deed. Yeah. So that's great. All right. So we want to talk about some other stuff that's going on in the industry. These are um, 
This is a first a, a good news story. Uh, we've talked about you can fly in the past. Mm-hmm. It's one of um, our main pillars. Yep, to get uh, people interested in aviation at a young age. Yep, yep. Here at AOPA, and um, so. Lots of stuff always happens behind the scenes every day. These folks are working on this stuff. Not a lot that we necessarily talk about, especially because they're still in the building phase for a lot of these programs. Uh-huh. But we just had here some really special guests at AOPA that is kind of a milestone of one of those programs, which is the High School Initiative. Yeah, the High School Initiative. And uh, Cindy Hasselbring and her team have been working behind the scenes to get a curriculum going for ninth graders for STEM programs. And you know what STEM stands for, right? Science, technology, engineering, math. You got it. Cool. And that's a buzzword for a lot of folks in high school, even middle school at yeah. this point. But so they're uh, they're concentrating on the high school group. And a bunch of ev- uh, educators were here at Frederick, and they were putting to the test some of the concepts and some of the experiments that some of the students will be taught this coming up year. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, uh, behind the scenes, as you were talking about, Ian, uh, some of our folks were trying to make uh, some some balloons lift off and and other funky <laughs> things, and they had to go to the back to the drawing board a couple of times. Yeah, but, uh, that's happened to me. <laughs> but they but they did make it work. Good. And uh, so Cindy's group hosted a bunch of educators here, and uh, they had a workshop, and it was a first of its kind kind yeah. of workshop. For, uh, for students to, and really it was for the instructors to understand how to lead the experiments and mm-hmm. how to make it interesting for kids. Yeah, so this fall, um, I think it's 30 schools will be testing this ninth grade curriculum. Uh-huh. And so the teachers came in, yeah, they learned the curriculum. And uh, I think they're, you know, as part of the test group, it's like the teachers will have to have professional development. Sure. Um, and a lot of them are STEM specialists or something like that. They already, already. have a foot in the door. Of that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I talked to one um, which is going to be in a public school, which is very cool, mm-hmm. uh, in Oklahoma. And she was just thrilled that they were going to participate. And you know what's really cool about this program is it's like we talk about it because um, we're developing the curriculum and, you know, trying to uh, be a leader in bringing all the yeah, groups pushing together. Yeah, pushing it out, pushing it out and getting the, the industry together. Yeah. And making it fun and interesting. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Which and is another key thing. It's true. Um, but it's so cool because, you know, you, you forget sometimes that how many different groups have to align for these things to work. Because right. the school I was talking to, the the curriculum director, she said that the, um, the local EAA chapter – actually paid for the teacher to come out to the workshop. Oh, they gathered the money up and funded it that way. Yeah, and so it's just local a, pilots at the airport. A real grassroots effort. Yeah, who believe in this mission. It and shows you how important it is to get young people going. Yeah, it really, it takes a lot of different groups because especially in a public school, it's like they don't have the funding to send the teachers out for development. I know that even my daughter back in, in Georgia, they cut funding for foreign language yeah. program. Yeah. So by having an aviation and science engineering Technology and math, I mean, this is like cool stuff. It's the next generation that that are really going to benefit by all this technology. Yeah, so we'll talk about that more as the curriculum is being tested. But like I said, in the fall, ninth grade, um, this is just step one. Uh-huh. Then it's going to be they're developing out the other three years. They are. They are. They'll roll that out after we get going with this and uh, tweak it a little bit. Yep. Yep. But, so uh, it's very I'm, cool. I met some of the educators last year. We had our high school gathering in Seattle. Yeah. And they were just gung ho, and you saw a lot of excitement there among the teachers. Yeah. I think because Ian is fun, it's a fun thing to teach. Mm-hmm. It makes it interesting for the kids, it captures their attention. Yeah. And, you know, they're not bored. Yeah. 
Yeah, make it relevant to them. I wish high school was more relevant to me when yeah. I was back <laughs> back in the day. I know it's so cool. It's like uh, aviation classes in high school. Yeah, yeah I remember doing. Awesome. I remember doing spitballs and bringing candy to class and all like that. If I was doing, if I was doing aviation experiments, I probably would have been a better student. Uh, that's funny. That's good. Yeah. Um. All right. Keeping so, it real. Keeping it real. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um. So from building up aviation to protecting it, last thing we want to talk about, top story, privatization. Mm -hmm. It is, it's a crunch week for privatization. There's a lot going on. It is. We'll let Jim get into the details a little bit, but let's just say, um, I think we've, you know, you said last time, right? Uh, Senate bill, good. Senate bill, good. House bill, bad. Bad, And now we know extremely bad. Yeah. So um, this week is a big week for the House bill. Um, They're going to be essentially... Uh, this is the whip phase where they decide, do they have the votes or don't they, to bring right. it to the floor. Um, and we're talking about the, the AIRR Act. Yes. And, and this is a House Transportation in- Infrastructure Committee. And uh, so the legislation would take air traffic control away from the FAA and hand it to the airlines, which we all know is a bad thing. Yes. And uh, also, the, the one thing that concerns me, you know, uh, and a lot of other folks, is it seems like this is, would be like a free gift to some corporate conglomerate monopoly yeah. Yeah. with no oversight. Yeah. So that's why it's really bad. Yeah. And it worries me because it's like, I, you know, I'm all about when the private sector can do something right, like let them have it. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of pilots feel that way. But man, you look at some of these other sort of quasi governmental functions, Amtrak, post office. It's it doesn't like, work well. No. Yeah. The post office has been in a lot of trouble and uh, they, you know, they, for a long time, they kept going up on their rates on the stamps and things like that. And, and the service wasn't getting that much better. Yeah. And then you had other competition from the you know, UPS and FedExes of the world that really, you know, hammered the post office. And then they really didn't have the infrastructure to improve. Yeah. Which is a sad thing. Yeah. I mean, there, it's one thing to provide a service when it's, uh, you know, uh, let's, let's say it's not necessarily a required service or something like that, but it's like ATC, man, it's got to be there then it's got to um, be safe and it's got to be efficient yeah so um so in that case so how yeah. much is broken with atc right now nothing i didn't think so either i was flying uh yesterday uh down to lynchburg virginia and back and uh you know we fly around the pretty complicated washington dc cifra area yeah. special airspace yeah. area yep and um again i get uh bfr flight advisories flight following the instructors could not have been nicer yeah and yeah. they were dealing with a, a pretty major uh, issue at the Washington Center, oh. uh, which I had read later on. The Washington Center had been evacuated last night oh my God. for a little while. Yeah. What? So other centers were taking wow. over for that. They were doing some some work and some upgrades in the center, and yeah. something like they smelled an odor. It might not have been smoke, or it might have huh. been some chemical, but they evacuated you know, for safety of the sure. employees. Sure. But meanwhile, the rest of the air traffic system took over yeah. as it should, yeah. very seamlessly. Yep. And we heard all this going on uh, while while Josh wow. Cochran and I were coming back from Lynchburg. And uh just a just you know, feather in the hat of the folks are very professional. They do a great job. And I really have not ever, and I mean ever, had an issue. No, no. I mean, you know, it's like you might not get the routing you want or something like that. But I, yeah, I mean, come on. Sometimes you, know? you have to wait while there's a pretty lengthy readback. Or yeah, something like that. Or- I mean, it's like that. You know, who who controls ATC is not going to fix any of that. And yeah. it's, I mean, you know, it's it's so obvious to me, and it's so transparent. It's like the airlines want this because they, they want think, it bad. They think they're going to save money on it. They do. And and the problem that we and we mentioned this last time is that. Really, the delays that the general flying public are are seeing is is really 
airline-driven delays. Oh, yeah. It's, a lot of times it's staffing issues. I would yeah. say mainly staffing and mainly weather. And yeah. they're flying too many planes, like you said last time. Yeah, too many the same place. Too many yeah. planes out of too little concrete. Yeah. I mean, have you sat at, have you had the whole, like, you go and you sit because there's no gate? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. ludicrous. I know. And it's I like, I can't a- believe it. ATC's not going to fix that. It's like, how know? could you, I mean, you know a plane's coming in. Yeah. I mean, they have, the airlines have uh, dispatchers. A good friend of mine in Atlanta is a dispatcher for, mm-hmm. for a large airline based in Atlanta. So, um, but, and he works hard and they work hard to make sure the gates are available when yeah. the traveling public is, is there. But then, I mean, you know, you're waiting on the ramp. Yeah. That's re- that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens. I mean, and, and it's just like anything else. It's like, you know, they've got to be flying flights to be making money. And so they try and pack as many as they can into the, you know, the least amount of infrastructure. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine. It's a business decision, but it's like, it has nothing to do with ATC in that case. No. And so. I want to say that, uh, that, you know, airlines like Delta are doing pretty good these days. I'm, I'm guessing Southwest haven't heard oh, yeah. many complaints out of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, for a while back, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they, they were hitting a pretty, pretty big crunch. Um, but I think there's a lot of new equipment out there now. And as far as ATC goes, next gen, uh, aviation principles and, and engineering are online right now. Yeah. We're taking advantage of some of that. ADSB, we're taking advantage of that yeah. as well. Yeah. Which we used last night in a Cessna 172. Yeah. It was great. It is great. Yeah. yeah. Actually, a, another plug for our good, hardworking ATC folks, I got cleared through the Washington class Bravo airspace. Nice. That's nice. Yeah. Well, that's great. different for me. That's great. So this is all a good transition to Jim, who knows this stuff inside and out. He's obviously our senior VP now in D.C., but his previous life is on the Hill working for this committee. Okay. Um, so he knows these issues. He knows the people. He knows the people. Well. And, and how to get it done. Yeah, and how to right. get it done. That's exactly right. We had a good talk. Jim, uh, you know, he's uh, <laughs> he's funny. He he knows the system. He works the system. Um, he's a sports guy, and so it's like yeah. he'll use these, you know, sports analogies uh-huh. and, you know, about fighting on the field and everything else. But um, I like the metaphors. Yeah, yeah but uh, no, it's it's good to have him there, and, uh, and he'll give us uh, the background on what's going on. Well, I can't wait to hear from Jim Coon. Okay, so Jim, I, I think you know we've talked a lot about privatization. We've heard a lot about it, but tell us what what is privatization? Well, you know, Ian, that's a great question, and you know, we we do refer to uh, this proposal before Congress as as privatization, but in fact, what it really is, it's taking a monopoly, a government monopoly, and and giving just handing over this entire asset uh, that we have in the United States or traffic control system, and Ending this monopoly to special interests and just won't work. Uh, there's no competition involved in this. This is just a complete giveaway by the federal government. I would uh, compare it to uh, to Amtrak. We're, we're going to end up with a flying Amtrak if we uh, lose this fight in Congress, which is so, so important right now. Hmm. So now, obviously, we have a pull with the FAA. That's what the air traffic system is. But But under the current proposal, under the House bill, we're talking about a. I, I guess they they set it up as a nonprofit, but that doesn't really matter. I mean, we're talking about a single source, uh, private ATC. Right. It it would be a non-governmental, uh, not-for-profit corporation that would have uh, would be run by a 13-member board. General aviation would get a seat. Business aviation would get a seat. The commercial airlines would get a seat. 
the air traffic controllers would get a seat, cargo airlines would get a seat, uh, regional airlines would get a seat, um, and, and a few others. But the point is, is that you know, this system works for everyone. You know, AOPA has, has long contended that uh, the status quo uh, is not uh, sufficient, and we do need some reforms at the FAA, especially to, to get through the bureaucratic morass. But I can tell you that we never hear from any members who complain about the air traffic control system. Mark Baker, our president, has been around to every state in the union and has done dozens and dozens of fly-ins and town halls. And he, he's not heard one person say uh, that they support privatization. So it is a solution in search of a problem. The modernization of air traffic control system got off to a rocky start many years ago. And what people need to understand what next gen, the, the, the ground system, the platform for next gen is all in place. Really where we are right now is it's waiting for the airlines and GA to equip with ADSB so we can go to a fully satellite type system. That's really kind of where we are along the process. And the FAA over the years has put in good management uh, tools uh, to make sure that the next gen program progresses as it should. And, and it is. <clears throat> we can only modernize really as fast as the airlines will will let it happen. So um, it, it's just a red herring that the modernization is why we need to privatize. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that really uh, 50%, now this isn't just me saying this, this is the, uh, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics suggests that all the delays in the system last year, 50% those were caused by the airlines, whether it's crew scheduling, over-scheduling, maintenance issues, and then the other 30% uh, dealt with uh, weather-related problems. So there you are with 80% of the delays in the system that privatization won't be able to address. And, and there are about four or five airports in the Northeast quarter where 70% of delays in the entire system is airports because that's where all the airplanes are flying. And, and when once NextGen is fully implemented, because we all support modernization of our air traffic control system, the fact is, is that once it's completed, or even today, you grow efficiencies, you grow capacity, more people can fly. We love that. But the fact is, is that those airplanes are going to have to land somewhere. And you, you can't build new airports today. It's a 17-year process for a runway alone with all the permitting and everything that needs to go on. You need more gates at these airports. What is going to happen is that we're going to be so efficient from flying from point A to point B that these planes are going to be in, in the pattern circling around an airport until they can get a gate. So if this is not fully uh, thought through, uh, and I can tell you that the, the decisions will be based on economic decisions. And uh, those board members that I outlined earlier, they will, they will be looking to ensure that this not-for-profit company doesn't lose money. And so when you have to reduce costs, where do you think they're going to go, Ian? Do you think they're going to go and cut uh, programs and, and modernizing or putting in air traffic control equipment at LAX or, or O'Hare or LaGuardia? No, I don't think so. I'm going to look at small and medium-sized airports. Uh, and, and that hurts rural America and that hurts general aviation. So now the, the Senate bill came out completely uh, clean of any sort of ATC switch. Um, just standard sort of FAA reauthorization, some specific programs that they had talked about. Tell me about some of the other maybe good things that we see in the Senate bill and what we're doing to help the Senate bill. 
Well, we do. We support the Senate bill. Uh, there, there is no uh, quote-unquote privatization provision in there. In fact, there's just really not enough or, or much support at all for removing the air traffic control system from, from the FAA. But for general aviation in the Senate bill, there's a, a piece of legislation that was introduced by uh, Jim Senator Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma and Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois called the Flight Act. And that is really a comprehensive bill that deals with uh, small airports uh, across the country and provides the needed funds to make sure that they, they can uh, remain safe and viable for for the future. And there are other provisions in there that would push for public-private partnerships uh, at small airports where we could we could attract private sector investment to build hangars at airports because a lot of the communities around the country are cash-strapped and and uh, and we want to facilitate uh, ways where the private sector can build these you know hangars or facilities at at many of the airports around the country. And then obviously, general aviation plays a huge role in uh, emergency relief, uh, especially with natural disasters, earthquakes, uh, fires, floods, mudslides, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, all of those things. And so there's a provision that would designate certain airports uh, around the country as disaster relief airports and to make sure that they're there when they're needed. And, and we think that's a really good provision, all incorporated, included in the, the Senate FAA reauthorization bill. And then the additional pilot's bill of rights requirements that, that didn't make it through the process last year that gives pilots um, more opportunities to address enforcement actions brought upon them by the FAA. So it's a really good bill for general aviation, and um, it's hung up a little bit on, on some unrelated issues, but we'll see what their timing is. Uh, I suspect it might be a month or two away. You never know, though, in this in this business, but uh, that's where we are. And where, where it gets concerning, though, Ian, you know, is if the Senate is to move their bill, which we think is a good bill, uh, and the House is able to move its bill that includes the privatization provision, the House and Senate will then go to what is called a conference committee. And they will go line by line and work out the differences between the two bills. And so it's, it's quite nerve-wracking when, you know, members of Congress get in there and start cutting deals. And, and um, so we're concerned about that. We're going to watch that very carefully. Hmm. So I guess at that point, does the, the calculation become, uh, does the House want uh, privatization more than the Senate doesn't want it, I suppose? That's, the, that's what we're sort of banking on. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, my gut instinct is that uh, if the Senate or when the Senate moves its FAA reauthorization bill, there'll probably be an amendment offered on the on the Senate floor to basically include the the House privatization proposal. Mm. And I suspect that it will be defeated soundly, uh, which gives uh, senators the ability to say to their House counterparts, "We can't pass a bill in the Senate." Uh, that has privatization in it. But again, you know, in these conference committees, you never know what's going to come out in the end. So yeah. um, it, it's, it's, uh, the, the time is now is, to, is for people to call their representatives, uh, especially on the House side, and urge their opposition to H.R. 2997. Yeah, so I, I did want to get into that. So we were talking at a pivotal time. Um, there's some stuff that's come out in Politico and, and other sources that seem to indicate that a, a House vote could could happen what, I guess as early as next week, am I right? And so um, what can folks do? Yeah, so what's happening right now uh, is the House of Representatives, the leadership in the House, is doing a, a whip count. 
and that's where they they go to each member and they ask them, you know, how will you vote on HR 2997, yes or no? And the members usually tell them yes, no, or undecided. Then they take those um, and they tabulate them and they see if they have enough votes to pass it on the floor. So that's where we are right now. That that whip is going on right now, and it's so important. As I just mentioned, to to have to call your your U.S. House representative and encourage him or her to to vote no on HR 2997. So mm-hmm. they'll need about 216 or 217 votes um, to pass the bill. I think that uh, Democrat support is very very light, ten or less, I would assume. And then and then the House side, uh, the, you know, it's it's going to be very very close. And um, if we can get this push off for some time, that that would be very, very good for general aviation. So talk to me a little bit about the politics of it. I mean, um, you mentioned that it's going to be close on the Republican side, but uh, I think the uh, aviation folks got a a little bit of a a surprise when they saw that um, Representative Graves came out in favor of the bill and in favor of this provision. And uh, obviously, he's a, a friend of GA. So what's what's his calculation there? And, and what do you think might be his motivation? And, and how do you think that's going to impact uh, other members as they go to vote? Well, Representative Graves um, is a very intelligent uh, member of Congress. He's, he's certainly uh, General Aviation's strongest advocate. People in Congress go to Sam to ask him questions involving general aviation. Uh, Sam Graves also serves on the House Transportation Committee, of which Bill Schuster from Pennsylvania is the chairman. Sam Graves and Bill Schuster reached an agreement. Representative Graves said he needed uh, three or four things. Um, He feels that he was accommodated, and uh, he's now supporting the bill. But, um, you know, there's – I don't know any any general aviation organization uh, that – that agrees with uh, the support. Um, in fact, there are over 120 organizations who have expressed their opposition to the legislation. And I think it's really just this, the, it's the premise on, on which this is based. And this proposal is not going to reduce airfares. It's not going to reduce delays. It's not going to make uh, air traffic control any more efficient than it is today. This is simply a power grab by the airlines. And the 80% of delays in our system today uh, are caused by the airlines and weather. And this proposal won't be able to fix that at all. You know, we, we, um, AOPA, are, we're not defending the status quo with you. And I, I want to make that clear. You know, we believe there are changes that uh, can be made that will help the FAA become more efficient, more responsive to uh, the users, and we're going to work, uh, continue to work on those. We're going to continue and try to build consensus. But um, this proposal before us today is really nothing more than a flying Amtrak, and it won't address the fundamental problems. Now, I'll be the first to admit, and I may have said this earlier, that you know the FAA uh, several years ago had a lot of problems with putting the next gen system together and 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 procuring technologies and deploying them. But, you know, it, it's it's made a lot of progress since then. Uh, I think in the um, in 2010 or so, they, uh, they stood up the Next Gen Advisory Committee, which is made up of stakeholders, um, of which the, the, the major airlines CEOs have, have actually been the chair of this committee for some time. And 
our, our modernization uh, of our air traffic control system can only go really as fast as the airlines and general aviation will equip with ADSB and datacom and those types of things. So mm-hmm. um, it's back on track. Uh, it costs a lot of money. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office talk about a lot of money. This proposal before us, this, this bill, H.R. 2997, the Congressional Budget Office just announced that it would cost $20.7 billion to transition this wow. out of the FAA. And I think that that money could go towards modernizing the system. You know, in my view, there are two things the federal government does very well, and that's national security and air traffic control. So I think there are many other places in the federal government that can be privatized, uh, but I don't think uh, air traffic control is one of them. I've, I've been surprised to see, I mean, the airlines, I think it's, it's obvious why they, they're behind it. Well, most of them, we should say. What surprised me, I think, though, are the unions, uh, the Air Traffic Controllers Union, NACA, the ALPA, the Airline Pilot Association, um, and Southwest Pilots. Um, those folks, I've, I've been surprised to see get behind the privatization effort. So what, what do you make of, of their side of the support? Well, I don't want to speak for them, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I, they obviously have their own reasons. I've heard that they want a predictable and stable funding stream. Um, they want to get out of uh, the issues of sequestration uh, and those types of things. They, they suggest that uh, the annual appropriations, congressional appropriations process is hamstringing, you know, capital projects. Mm. And now I kind of agree with that a little bit. I, I, I think that we would much prefer to see maybe some biennial uh, budgeting for the FA in terms of uh, modernizing our system to give them a little bit more lead time uh, and, and security on what's actually going to be provided to them by Congress. Mm-hmm. But having said that, the, the, the Congress has been very, very generous to the, to the FAA over the years. I mean, this has gone from, in 1980, the FAA had an overall budget of $3.2 billion. Today, it's $16.2 billion. And they're moving less traffic today than they were in 1980. So I think that, in part, over the years, the Controllers Union has been very, very successful uh, in negotiating uh, their pay and benefits with the FAA. And I think they've made a determination, at least their their group in Washington has, that with a more conservative Congress, and now especially with with a more conservative uh, administration, that they see more opportunity working with the board uh, and this private entity to uh, increase their pay and benefits. Hmm. And and the thing is is that, you know, a lot of these uh, air traffic controllers make more money than the members of Congress do. So yeah, right. I think they've done they've done very well. And I think maybe that's maybe part of the reason I, you'd have to ask them. But hmm. Interesting. Uh, the funding, the funding has been there. I don't think that we have a funding problem. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the lion's share of the FAA's budget comes from users of the system through our fuel tax, through passenger ticket taxes that goes into a trust fund. And, you know, the House Appropriations and Senate Appropriations Committee, they're kind of the CFOs for the FAA, and they have that accountability and oversight responsibility to make sure that these funds are being used properly and fairly. And so that's the debate that, that's going on, and, and it, it's, a, it's a big one. And, you know, the Trump administration is supportive. Um, this plays very well with conservatives who, who believe that reducing the size of government is a good thing. 
And I, I personally, I, I understand that argument. But again, this proposal is going to pick winners and losers. And I'm certain that in the end, like we have seen in other countries around the world that have gone to this type of thing, general aviation will get the crumbs at the end of the day. And we need to prevent that from happening. All right, Jim, last question. Give me a little bit of inside baseball. I mean, you mentioned what members can do, uh, AOPA members and pilots, uh, to help this situation. Uh, what about you and your team? I mean, um, tell me a little bit. I mean, give me a brief window into what you guys are doing these couple of days. What is it like on the ground? I mean, what what's the work actually like? You knocking on doors, going door to door in the office buildings? Um, how, how does it work? Yeah, that's it. You know, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. You know, we are... We are, this is, it's retail politics. It's talking to every member and every staff person uh, up on Capitol Hill and, and, and laying out the facts for them. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there about how this proposal would impact aviation, and we need to go and set the record straight. You know, it, it, it is really retail politics and, and education in, in a really quick turnaround time. Um, from a political standpoint, you know, we're up against this crunched window. You have the chairman of the Transportation Committee uh, supporting this. You have the president and his team up on the Hill working this every day. Uh, so um, it's really built on relationships. And where we have the advantage uh, is in our, in our grassroots efforts with our members. We, we're only going to be as strong as they want to be. And um, just like on third class medical, we got that done because our members were engaged. They got engaged. And this, I think, is um, much more important than down the road uh, for general aviation in this country. And I, I hope members call early and often to their congressional representatives. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Jim. That's a great message. And uh, we appreciate the time. We'll let you get back to it. Okay, thanks, Ian. All right, David. So it makes me feel good. He's working down there. Um, I guess we're just going to hope for the best and, and keep supporting him. Well, when you have good people working for good things, I think there's going to be a good result. Yeah. But don't forget, there are there have been some calls to action yes. you know, by AOPA. Yeah, get on asking, those. Asking our members to do things, and we are serious about that, and it really makes a difference. I think Jim could tell us that that's a very positive uh, impact for what they're doing, and it keeps that issue in front of people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Um, thanks for listening to Hangar Talk. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Listen, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangartalk. You can email us your questions at hangartalk at aopa.org. Don't forget, we're now on iTunes and at the Sporties Takeoff app. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Thanks. Thanks.